With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Sekou Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann's in New Jersey. John Hobbs behind the glass as always. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Rod Beard of the Detroit News to talk about my beloved Detroit Pistons, who are rocking and rolling uh, up to number six in the Eastern Conference playoff chase. Dominated the Minnesota Timberwolves with a chance to keep moving up, potentially, or at least keep digging into that firm playoff position that they need to hold on to now the next uh, you know six weeks of the season. Uh, but before we do that, uh, there was a lot of action around the league Wednesday night. LeBron James stealing headlines for a, I guess, quasi-positive note. It was, it was weird. He passed Michael Jordan for the fourth spot on the all-time scoring list. Tippett standing ovation, I guess it would, I would describe. I don't chew it. It was like a reluctant standing ovation. Or? It would have helped if his team, if his team's defense wasn't um, just atrocious <laughs> in the first quarter. At one point I thought like, wow, he's, he's going to pass Michael Jordan. His team's going to be down 50 points at the time, but you know, <laughs> and they made it respectable at the end. And then, and then yeah. sort of uh, thrown out at the end. So I, it was, I mean, another loss for the Lakers, obviously. Uh, it, their playoff fate is dwindling. Yeah, and he just doesn't have a history there. You know, like it yeah. takes time for, you know, as as great as he is, it takes time for a, a player to become beloved by a new fan base. And it doesn't help when the team hasn't been very good, has been underachieving or has been a disappointment in his first season. Like, I mean, you know, if the Lakers were, you know, in – third or fourth place in the West, maybe it's a, a little different feeling, but like it would, the, you know, as he was chasing the points and <laughs> clearly chasing it because the way he got upset at uh, your, your boy. <laughs> yeah. I did not appreciate that. Mo, Mo Wagner on that fast break where. Wagner playing the right way. Got yeah, mad at the, pass the ball to Josh Hart. Yeah. For doing the right thing. Anyway, just that first quarter. And just the the Nuggets getting layup after layup was just a reminder to those fans of how disappointing this season has been for the Lakers, I think, just like how bad they've been. And so that, especially over the last several weeks um, since LeBron has returned. Um, and so I guess that probably dampened the mood. Uh, you think? The Look, they're 30 and 35, shoe, A robust six and a half games behind the Clippers, Spurs, you know, for those last two playoff spots in the West. I mean, I, I don't like to prematurely give last rights to anybody, but oh, you're not. You wouldn't be a premature. I mean, we're. I mean, we're there, aren't we? Yes. Oh, we were there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, we were there after the Phoenix loss for sure. Yeah. And then the Clippers loss, I guess, was the really the the nail in the coffin because of where the Clippers stand. That was an opportunity to have a doubly important win. Uh, against the team that's in either seventh or eighth place. I forget where the Clippers were at the time. And we talked about it last week, I guess, what it was. Like when I said, you know, when do you think the last time the Lakers had won three in a row was? Right, yeah. 
And the answer to that question uh, was uh, early December. Yeah, before Christmas. Right. So, I mean, it's there's just never been a sign of life, really, in this team. And in, uh, obviously now, like, that first quarter was clear uh, indication that there is no life in, in, in this team in regard to competing uh, for a playoff spot. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think LeBron – targets in terms of just the scoring list let's we know the lakers are toast let's move let's move over and look at this from a strictly statistical standpoint he's got 32,311 points which is not bad for a guy who's never been focused as much on scoring as he has been maybe his entire repertoire what's his ceiling in terms of all-time points do you think kareem's realistic at 38,387. I don't know about realistic. I would say mm-hmm. possible. Possible. Sure. Realistic? Uh, I don't know. The injury this year is obviously was his first sign of of mortality mm-hmm. and you know health is going to determine the way it goes. Like I think the number was what that he's played 10,000 more minutes than any other player. Right. In the uh 16 years that he's been in the league. Um, that's a lot of mileage. And as much as he takes care of his body and as much of a specimen that he is at some point, it's going to break down and we never know when that's, that point is going to be, you know, obviously he, he does conserve himself at times by, uh, uh, let's say, uh, not exerting, uh, as much energy on the defensive end <laughs> of the floor as he did earlier in his career. But, uh, I like the diplomacy, by the way, I like the <laughs> diplomatic about it. It's a, it's a practice of conversation, uh, conservation is the, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll call it. It's a great question. I think, uh, Kobe, he'll definitely pass Kobe next year. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that seems like a sure thing. Carl Malone after that is a, is a, is a big step, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, the distance between, Kobe and Malone. Uh, Kobe is, and Carl Malone is is thirty three thirty three hundred points basically, right. and then it's another uh, like fifteen hundred to get to um, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. So who knows, really? You know, I don't like to. I, I we can't see the future. We can't predict injuries. His durability is obviously going to become an issue at some point. Yes, um, it'll be fun to see him go for it, though. You know, as much as we can ridicule his current team. And as much as we can point out the the lack of effort defensively over the last few years, the dude is a special player and, you know, all credit to him for living up to all the hype that he came into the league with. That's what made it kind of uh, somber watching him last night. You know, you would have hoped that that moment had come in a better context, but – you know, reality has a strange way of kicking doors down. You know, for people, I'm sure. I'm sure LeBron envisioned it coming in a different context. You know, happening in a different way. But you're reminded how little control players have over their outcomes. Sometimes, you know, LeBron made a choice to go to the Lakers, thinking it was a chance to reestablish. A brand, you know, and not that he needed. He could have stayed in Cleveland. She would have made the playoffs this year. I think that's clear. He could have stayed in the East and had a Cleveland team in the postseason. And I don't even know if it would have mattered much who was on the team with him. You go West, and it looks like he's going to have an extra two and a half months that he hadn't had in a long time to recover, refurbish, and recalculate for the coming season. So just strange how things play out in this league. Um, 
not to give too short a shrift to the other games that went on last night, it wasn't the crunchiest of crunch times last night like we're used to, but I did enjoy Isaiah Thomas and uh, Jerry Greenberg and Matt Wine and everybody on game time and crunch time last night on NBA TV. Fun finish in Chicago. Yes, yes. And I know you're not as big a fan. I'm, I keep trying to explain to you, Zach Levine is a better player shoe than he gets credit for. I know he's not a great defender. <laughs> but what he's doing often, that's not easy now. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I, 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 I appreciate his scoring ability, his yeah. combination of athleticism, skill. I've said this before, like, I love the way when he, you know, for a dude, it's so quick and athletic for him to square up as well as he does. And his shooting form looks great. And then, you know, he's tough attacking the basket. (laughs) Of course. I don't don't uh, know why he gets like looked over. So, so often we talk about young players in the league. He got looked over by the, the two Sixers defenders who uh, (laughs) (laughs) went with Robin Lopez instead of uh, Levine on that game winning bucket. Don't know what that was about. Celtics shoot Gordon Hayward quietly, silencing all of my belly aching about them last week. Two very nice, you know, moments for him, obviously. Uh, the 30-point game and the win against the Warriors and then the game winner to beat Sacramento. You impressed with what you've seen here from Gordon Hayward? You think about the postseason and, you know, the Celtics are so deep, they don't need necessarily need big games from like that from Gordon Hayward every time out. But if in on a night when uh, a couple of the other guys don't have it, if you can get a performance like that from Gordon Hayward, that can win you a game and that could be the difference in a postseason. So we're in a playoff series. So, you know, uh, maybe it's going on the road is, is, is where the Celtics need to, you know, figure themselves out. So, you know, we'll figure, although it's, it should be noted, you know, that win over Sacramento was without Kyrie Irving. The win over Golden State was with Kyrie Irving. So That's all they do is win without Kyrie. I mean, that, that wasn't surprising <laughs> at all. Yeah, and it's a little, dis- I mean, it's a little disappointing that the Kings uh, have struggled a little bit of late and now have sort of made it almost academic as far as the Western Conference playoff race. You know, we were looking forward to, a race between the Clippers and the Lakers or the Kings and the Lakers or the Clippers and the Kings and, you know, or the Spurs maybe having their playoff uh, streak come down to the last week or two, but doesn't look like that's going to happen unless, uh, unless either the Clippers or the Spurs sort of fall off and, and the Kings can get things going again. It's what team, I mean, but it's what young teams do. They, they ebb and flow, Yeah, you know, in the course of a season, they, you know, they struggle with finishing. I mean, Buddy Heald has been a, an interesting study, um, watching him try and assume the role of closer, you know, for the Kings. And some nights he makes plays that more often than not, he, you know, he battles, you know, with his own inner demons trying to make those plays. So it's fascinating to watch how a team goes through that. One team, you know, and, and as I mentioned, you know, we were going to talk with Rob Beard of Detroit News. It It helps to have – veterans in positions to close games, you know, and you, you recognize the real value in that when you don't have a, a young player, you know, with his hands at the controls late like that. I, th- I think it's something that has helped Detroit, you know, and, and, and that's one thing that I think has been a difference for a team that, that to me on, on the Eastern Conference side is in a similar position in terms of trying to figure out who and what you are on the fly with 
with guys with a little more seasoning makes that just a little bit less difficult a task. So, Rod, we appreciate you joining us, man. And what's been the marked difference that you can tell, you know, in this last 12 games that the Pistons have kind of turned things around and just kind of gotten into a real good space in terms of how they're performing? Yeah, I, I think it's just everyone's gelling and figuring out what their roles are and just playing to those roles. Andre Drummond uh, is, is being a, an offensive rebounder, a rim runner. There aren't these wild three-pointers or wild hook shots in the lane. He's just figuring out what his skill set is, the best parts of that, and just doing that. Don't do anything else. Reggie Jackson has been a really big piece of his shooting. I think it's about 47% in his last 16, 17 games of just being a pick-and-roll threat. And they're going back to that last playoff appearance that they had in 2016 of Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond being that threat, but now you've added Blake Griffin uh, to be that Swiss Army knife. That if you need him to be a point guard and it's a um, facilitate, he can do that. If you need him to post up, if you need him to drive, if you need him to shoot from three, they just never had a useful piece like Blake Griffin is that they can just augment the pick-and-roll and do a lot of other things. So all of that chemistry is coming together and they're just rolling through the teams that they should be. So, I mean, that, that's worth saying in this last stretch of games. They, they've only played a handful of winning teams with winning records, but against the teams they should be beating, they are doing that. How much credit do you do you give Dwayne Casey for? And, and I, I was very high on the Casey move. I think, Shu, you were as well. I just felt like they needed that kind of coach at this moment, you know, the right kind of guy who would bring some some steadiness, you know, on the sideline, but in the locker room and just how you do things. How big a boost has it been having Casey in charge of this thing? I think it's just a different culture that he's bringing, and that's a huge part of it is he wants a winning culture. He wants guys to play within a specific role. One of the big things he did was, was take the ball out of Reggie Jackson's hand at the beginning of the year, and that's that was a shock to the system. That's why they're just starting to norm now is to figure out, hey, if I'm not a point guard, what else can I be? Well, you can be a spot-up shooter. You can be a secondary guy, but we're going to run a lot of stuff through Blake. That's something that Stan Van Gundy wasn't willing to do because he had a pick-and-roll heavy offensive scheme. But just shaking everything up, building around Blake, which is what the franchise has to do as a whole with the roster anyway, but making sure you put Blake as that centerpiece to everything that you're doing and everything else evolves around that. But from a cultural standpoint, it is winning. And he's done that with Toronto, Dwayne Casey has with Toronto, that got with a team that had 20-some wins, made them into a 50-60 win team. It's just going to take some time to do. Yeah, it's been interesting. Like in this last month or so, it's like Jackson's, you know, Griffin's been playing pretty well all season for the most part. Jackson started playing well. Um, and then Drummond started playing well. And then now in this last, like, week or two, like, hello, Luke Kennard has been actually somewhat reliable and consistent off the bench. First of all, I, I think, do you think, is it possible that both Jackson and Drummond are playing their best basketball of their careers? I think in Drummond's case, for this extended a stretch, because his biggest issue was inconsistency. You would, you would get it one game, then he'd um, – he wouldn't have the energy. He wouldn't have the drive and motivation the next game. So the sustained um, stretch that he's gone for the past couple of weeks to be able to do it, I think might be the best stretch of his career. And he's doing, he's whittled his game down to, again, the things that he does best. There aren't these elbow jumpers and he's not trying to create and do other things that he just can't do. 
they've made it to where he's just hanging around the rim, rim running, running pick and roll stuff, and making the defense respond to him instead of him going out of his way to do something that he doesn't do well. For Jackson, I think that 2016 season when they did make the playoffs was his best season and the best play that he's had. But this is, again, the most sustained that he's had in these past couple of weeks. And shooting 47% from three may not be sustainable for the rest of the year, but this is a time where they absolutely needed it, and he's been coming through for them. And what has Jackson said about it, though? Like, what is, I mean, I, I talked to somebody with the team, and they were saying, like, you know, he's starting to, you know, getting to him to think like a point guard was is a challenge. Um, what has he said about, like, his the last month or so and how he's uh, how he's how he feels like he's improved himself? Well, I think it's the health. And for the past two seasons, he, he's had a knee issue. He, he's had an ankle issue that kept him out for uh, 30-some games. So now he's feeling healthy. He hasn't missed a game in all this year. And although he, he was trying to figure out what his role was and how to fit in there, now I think the health and him getting back to a full capacity where he, he didn't do anything in the summer, he didn't do anything in training camp, so he was very limited. And now it's just getting back in basketball shape and basketball form. Uh, and, and that's happening in January and February. I mean, the, the other piece of that is I went back and looked. All of this streak started – when the infamous kind of national thing where he, he walked through Blake's interview and um, <laughs> drew a lot of attention for that, that's when his good play started. That's when this team started to take off is after that victory over the Pelicans. And I wrote a story about, hey, it, was that the thing? Was that what turned this thing around? And all, everybody involved said, no, it was just we started to figure it out. We believed in each other. But Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson did have a conversation after that incident. They got on the same page. Not that they were beefing or anything, but they just got on the same page. and and. It's coincidence, but it's where all of this stuff started to take off that they've been playing well. Hmm. Rod, how important was it? And this breaks my heart because I had such high hopes for Stanley Johnson. But how important was it to to clean up that that roster and locker room a little bit the way that the Pistons did to get this group kind of in this right frame as just as a collective? Well, I, I think it's something they had to do fiscally because they weren't going to re-sign them next year. So you wanted to get as much as you could back. And Don Maker is a usable asset who understands what his role is on offense. Stanley's one of my guys. I mean, I, I, I like him as a person, but as an NBA player, I, I don't think he ever jived and calibrated what his skill set actually was, which was his defense and his ability to drive and transition, and what they were asking him to do, which was to shoot from three and, and try to do some other things. Those things never really calibrated. And, and so he thought he was a better player. He thought he could contribute on the offensive end a little bit more than he actually did. And so when you get rid of a guy like that, sometimes people say it's addition by subtraction. I think it was just in this system, he wasn't going to be what he can be. And he just needs to change the scenery, whether that's New Orleans or if he goes somewhere else in the league for next season. I think he has a lot of skill and a lot of talent. He's just got to find the right coaching that can get through to him and the right situation where he can display all of that. In a, in a previous life, a 3-6 matchup between – the Indiana Pacers and Detroit Pistons would have had people fried and ready to go in both cities. They'd have been fired up. What What's the best opportunity for the Pistons if they're on that playoff stage to make some noise in the first round? Is it a rivalry, rekindling an old rivalry, or is it maybe challenging one of these other top teams in the East and giving them the, you know a run for their money in that first round series? If Just if we're talking about waking up fans in Detroit to get them fired back up about this Pistons team? Well, I think there are two levels of it. So on the first level is just getting to the playoffs and winning a game or two in a series 
will awaken everything because that hasn't happened in over a decade that they won a game in a series in the playoffs. And it sounds blasphemous to say, but that's just that's what it is. And the other level is, hey, if you can win a series, then you get some of the fans back on board. And, and they have a new arena uh, that they're playing in. They haven't sold it out very many times, even for the Golden States and the uh, Lakers and teams like that. They haven't sold that arena out very many times at all because there's just this malaise. For the past decade, there hasn't been very much to cheer for. And even coming off that playoff appearance, it was, what's coming next? Okay, well, they'll make the playoffs and they'll win a couple of rounds. But again, the Reggie Jackson injuries, the Ish Smith injuries, a lot of things have really curtailed their progress. Now that the Dwayne Casey era and bringing in Blake Griffin has lit a little bit of a fire, but it's really show me something before as a fan, I'm going to get back in and really be all in for this team again. And that's in, in every sport in Detroit right now. The Lions, the Red Wings, the Tigers, the Pistons, everybody wants to see something before they get back on the bandwagon. That's weird, Rob, when you grow up in the era of the Pistons being as competitive as they were when I was in high school, the bad boy Pistons, since I've been covering the league, you know, you had the Pistons of 04 that won a championship and then a, a team that went to the East Conference Finals, what, six straight years? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's just mind-boggling how quickly a, a franchise can fall off the cliff. Do, do you think that the current makeup, front office, coaching staff, core group on this roster is built for a sustained push to be a playoff team? Well, to make the playoffs for the next couple of years, I think so. And, and certainly Blake Griffin is at the center of that. But you've got to have Andre Drummond playing like this on a consistent basis for a 20-game stretch for – 50 or 60 games out of an 82-game season. You can't have these lows where he's in and out. The new front office is looking toward the future, but they've been handicapped by Sam Van Gundy putting them in a financial bind, being they were less than half a million dollars from the luxury tax. You can't have a, a tax team that's not making the playoffs. And so they're, they're having to undo a lot of that and try to fix the financial woes. But uh, some of those contracts are going to start coming off the books next year. Uh, after this year and then even into next year where they can start bringing in some different guys who are going to be able to contribute. So I think the mentality is there. The understanding is there of the legacy and the, the heritage that this, this program has. It's just now, how do you fix that? How do you start getting to the playoffs? And just getting there is one of the major steps. Because again, they've only been twice in the past 11 years. They haven't won a game in that. You got to go all the way back to the Ben Wallace, Chauncey Phillips, Rip Hamilton era Pistons for a playoff win. That's that's the dire straits that this group is in right now. Yeah, I think I think Canard is a is a uh, a place where you can get see improvement, like basically in the next couple of years. You know, that dude obviously has the the fact that Donovan Mitchell was picked after him, hanging over his head. But I think fine, like maybe he's finally breaking through. Like he's averaged sixteen point seven, I think, since the All Star break yeah. on fifty five percent shooting. I think he has the tools, especially offensively. Um, what have you seen from him uh, the last couple of weeks? Uh, what has Casey said about him as far as him sort of finally giving them some pr- uh, consistent production off the bench? Well, Casey just wants him to, to hunt for his shot and look for his shot. And, and he said there's a, a green light. He's always got a green light, and it's a bright green light. So they, they just encourage him to create, facilitate, take his shot when it's there. Don't hesitate or pump fake. Just go right for it. And if you miss it, there's no consequence for it. We're not going to yank you out of the game. And that's the same sort of deal that Stanley Johnson went through in his first couple of years, is wondering if he makes a mistake, is he coming right out? For Kennard, he's at his best when he's that type of player, and he's just got to look for that shot. And that's what he's done a little bit more without that hesitation. Is just, I'm coming in and I'm shooting this thing if that shot is open. And guys have done a better job. 
The issue with Kennard is that he doesn't play as well with that starting group, and, and that's why he doesn't start with those numbers. You've got Bruce Brown, a rookie, a second-round pick as a rookie, coming off the bench or, or starting and, and playing at, I think he's scoring about four or six points a game over Kennard, but it's because with that second group, with Ishmith changing the pace of the game when that second group comes in, that Kennard is able to flourish in that environment, and that's where they've tried to position him is to be able to be that come-off-the-bench energy-scoring guy. It's going to be interesting to watch this Pistons team evolve. I think the, the first step, as you mentioned, Rod, is making the playoffs and then winning a game. Like I, <laughs> You really do have to take baby steps to reintegrate yourself into that playoff mix, and I think it's wide open in the Eastern Conference right now. It's a great time for the Pistons to try and, and burrow themselves into that spot because the East is going to be in flux for the next couple of years in terms of jockeying for that position, who's going to be the powerhouse teams. You know, we forget how many free agents Milwaukee will have at the end of this season. We don't know what Toronto's going to look like after Kawhi Leonard makes his decision in free agency. Philly looks like a, a keeper, but they have decisions to make in free agency as well. To me, there's a really interesting window um, that has opened up in the East, and it's not just Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. It's kind of wide open for, for several teams to, to figure a way to get into that mix. And, and whatever, the, whatever the playoff forecast looks like this year, it could change dramatically in the coming season. Yeah, and that, that's something that they're looking at is um, the, how the landscape changes. But Blake Griffin, they have under contract for three more years after this year, drumming for two more. So they can kind of sniff around and see what other big free agents they might be able to bring in you've got some expiring contracts that you, you that might turn into some uh, some good assets for you that you can figure out ways to, to reshape this roster on the fly and still be not necessarily a championship contender, but a team that can make some noise in the East. And I mean, we, we talked about Indiana maybe as a first-round opponent, but they seem to be playing with some juice when Toronto's on the other side of the court. Uh, and, and Dwayne Casey's former team, he seems to have their number. They've won both of their matchups against Toronto, one on the road and one at home this season. That's another first round. Even if they make that second seed and or the seventh seed and then Toronto is at the second seed, that's a matchup that you, you would think the Pistons could win a couple of games, and that's becoming a different type of rivalry, certainly with Casey and Nick Nurse, that the Pistons would be plugged into if that's how it turned out. No doubt. Rob, we, we do trivia, and, and Shu is really good about making sure it's pointed and, and very specific. So it usually takes a lot longer for me to get it than it does our guest, so I'm, I'm leaning on you. <laughs> to make sure that we get this done in a, in a reasonable time. I don't want to make people late for uh, other engagements. Shoot, what kind of trivia do you have for us this week? All right, so as we all know, uh, LeBron James passed uh, Michael Jordan for fourth on the all-time scoring list last night. This may be a trivia that we've done before, but if, if, if we did, it's been a while, so I'm, gonna, I'm going back to it. All right. um, there ha- are 14 players who have assisted LeBron at least 100 times in his career. Mm-hmm. We'll take this step by step. There are seven guys uh, in his first that played with him in his first stint in Cleveland, three guys mm-hmm. in Miami, and then four in his most recent stint, stint in uh, Cleveland. Which okay. do you want to start with? Let's, let's go ahead and go with the first group in Cleveland. Old, old Cavs? All right. Yeah, old, old Cavs. All right, so seven guys that assisted him at least uh, 100 times with the old Cavs. All right. Go for it. Uh, Mo Williams. Yep. One. Larry Hughes. Uh, yes, that's two. Um, Bowie Gibson. No. Damn. Uh, Rod, and, uh, yeah, Mo Williams and Larry Hughes. 
That is a toughie. I know. Is it Juno Sagaskis? Yes. Wow, 180 from Big Z. Right. Um, Four more. Daniel Marshall? Nope. Nah, he wouldn't have been passing. LeBron was passing to him. Um, <laughs> well, think about who's a, who's, a, who's a point guard on that team for a while. Hell, I don't remember. It's been a long time. Also a point guard in Philadelphia for a while. Uh, Eric Snow. Eric Snow, right? He's he's um, second, second. He, Eric Snow is second all time in assists to LeBron with two hundred and ninety two. So that's four, three more. Right. Oh, another point guard uh, uh, went to North Carolina. I think played with uh, maybe Rashid and Stackhouse in North at North Carolina. Jeff McInnes, Jeff McInnes yes. Damn, wow, that's, me a, that's people a dig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another one uh, played. He with, said this was gonna be gonna be swift, right? You see what I deal with every week. Played with LeBron on those uh, last couple of Cavs teams in 2009, 2010. Uh, lefty guard. Um, lefty guard. Delonte West. Delonte West. Yeah. Yes. I, then, I know this dude's not on the list, but I just want to say his name. What about Ira Newble? Nope, sorry. Well, he's actually he's down there. He's down there. He's uh, he's like nineteenth on the nineteenth or twentieth on all time assists. LeBron with forty eight. Uh, the last LeBron's guy all time the- LeBron's all time teammates list is a pretty motley crew. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the last guy, last guy with a hundred assists from that old from the LeBron's first stint in Cleveland is a current, I believe, a current NBA TV uh, analyst comes in every uh, once in a while. Uh, Big guy, uh, power forward. Haywood? No, no, no. Nope. Who would that be? Uh, uh, this power is a bear, it's kind of a bear. out of Kansas. Played at Kansas. Oh, Drew Gooden. Drew Gooden, correct. Yeah. All right, so those are the seven from the old Cavs: Snow, Mo Williams, uh, Jeff McGinnis, uh, Ilgoskis, Delonte West, Larry Hughes, and Drew Gooden. Shout out to Delonte West, man. Big shout out. <laughs> you know All right. Saying. How about the uh four the three no the three guys that did it uh in Miami? A hundred at least a hundred assists uh when LeBron was in Miami. Well Wade? Uh, Wade? Wade. Wade Five. is number one. Yeah, number Wade is number one in all time assists to LeBron with three hundred and sixty one. Bosh, mm-hmm. yes, correct. And Rio. More. Mario Chalmers, yes. You got to be real. Best point guard uh, actually, in the history of the league, according to himself. Yeah, Mario Chalmers is thir- his third all-time in assists to LeBron with 271. All right, so Wade, Chalmers, and Bosch in the Miami days. Okay, second stint in Cleveland. Four guys. Four of them? Four. Kyrie? Yep. <clears throat> J.R.? Kevin, yeah, Kevin Love had to have 100. Yes, J.R. Smith. Yes, Kevin Love. Yes. Yeah. One more guy. Uh, who else was a staple on those teams? Let's see. Point guard. Point guard. Backup point guard, basically. Deli. No, not Delly. Delly, yes. No, 102 no. assists. Wow. Shout out to Delly. He, 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 uh, all right. No, I won't even go. Barely he, made the list. Yes, but, all right. So that's the, that's the four. So the, the official list in order, Wade. Eric Snow, Chalmers, Mo Williams, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, Jeff McGinnis, Zajunas Augustus, Del- Delonte West, Chris Bosh, Larry Hughes, J.R. Smith, Matthew Delavadova, and Drew Gooden. 14 guys with at least 100 assists. What did Gooden have, like 100 even? 102. 
Oh, he did. Okay. Him, him and Della Vadova each with 102. Okay, gotcha. Norris Cole just missed the list with nine. Man, not Cole World. I can't believe Cole, <laughs> Norris Cole didn't make the list, man. Just That's missed. Upset. Cole, Cole will go back and want you, want, want you to review some video and get him a couple more assists so he can be <laughs> on that list. <laughs> Whatever happened to Norris Cole, though? I don't know. He was – last I saw him, he was with, what, with the Pelicans? Yeah, probably. Man, I love to. I used to love watching Norris Cole coming together. He's getting crazy, buck. <laughs> and that high top fade, the Big Daddy Kane yes, fade. Yes, and the fade. Yes. Seriously, I want to go back and look at all of LeBron's former team. I want to go back and see who's the strangest teammate. He had to have. Well, here, here, here you go. There are 10 guys with exactly one Le- career assist to LeBron. There you go. Uh oh. One of, them, one of them is your guy, Mo Wagner, who could have picked up a second one last night if, <laughs> if he passed to LeBron on that fast break. They are, oh. those 10 guys are Kendrick Perkins, mm-hmm. Derek Williams, Yo. Uh, Lorenzen Wright, uh, rest Ren. in peace. Rest in peace, Big Ren. Joe Harris. Mm, that's right. Uh, Terrence Kinsey. Remember Terrence Kinsey? No. Uh, played with the Cavs at some point, I think. No, I don't. Uh, John Holland, Stephen Graham, Jason Capono, and current Raptor Danny Green. Well, that's right. I knew about Danny Green. You know what? We got you've got Yuri Welsh at two. <laughs> two Dexter, Dexter Dexter Pittman with two assists. Chris Mim two assists. Chris LeBron. Mim. Wow! Wow! Mike Wilkes at with three. We got some Mike Wilkes. good names on this. Good, good names on. He's this. had a. I wonder. We got to find out how many teammates, career teammates, he's had. How many people have have basked in the glow of the LeBron effect over all mm-hmm. these years? There are uh, 116 that have at least one of us assist to him, but I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a handful of others that never. Yeah, I'm just curious how many teammates he's had. That's gonna be another trivia question we'll do one day, man. Rod, man, I, I hope we haven't scarred you for life. No, 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 <laughs> uh, this is fun. This is fun. I had a ball. But we have a little fun with with shoes trivia every week, man. And look, I'm biased. I, you know, I, I'm. Everybody knows that listens to this show probably by now, re, re, you know, realizes I am a Pistons guy deep down on, you know, when, when we take all the BS away, I, I grew up loving the Pistons. So I really want to, I, I need to see them back in the playoffs just so I can get the people from my hometown off my back. I got people to act like I'm supposed to get them in the playoffs. I'm like, man, I got nothing to do with it. I'm like you. I'm, I've been waiting forever to see this team get back. So it'll be fun to see how this rest of this season plays out, how the postseason goes for them, and just what the future looks like, man. And great coverage by you in the Detroit News. Read it all the time, every day. People need to check that out. And we appreciate you coming on and joining us this week on the podcast, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Rob. All right, Rob. All Take right. care. That's Rob Beard from the Detroit News. Uh, shoe great. Great shoe stat this week. That, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I just like hearing some of those names. Um, Mike Wilt, because <laughs> those scary part shoes, I've, I've, I remember basically each and every one of those guys, except for Terrence Kinsey. I got to try and put a face. I think he played that with Mem- Memphis too at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look up my uh, the Terrence. Yeah, that's one I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try and get that face because uh, I, don't, I don't remember him. 
and I don't want to disrespect. Terrence Kennedy, you know. two two seasons with the Grizzlies, 06, 07, and 07, 08. And then uh, one season, 08, 09, with the Cavs. He played uh, 277 total minutes in that season. So career minutes, 1,340 minutes. Yeah. Uh, a little you bit know, down on the uh, career scoring list from LeBron. It's interesting. LeBron will be – we talk about him on the scoring list, you know, Kareem, Kyle Malone, Kobe Bryant, and then LeBron now. LeBron will be the first player of that rarefied air whose career I've seen from before he got into the league until, God willing, I'm still around, till he retires. Everybody has touchstone players that, that come along in the generation they're affiliated or covering the league or whatever, watching the league. He will be – he'll be my the, – the biggest name player I had an opportunity to cover in the time I've been around the league from, you know, from start to finish. I wasn't covering the league when Kobe came in. So as of right now, LeBron will be the biggest. And hopefully I'll be able to squeeze some juice out of that thing later at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we we would love to see him in the playoffs again. Yes. All credit to the teams that to the Clippers for what they've done this season and there's no saying no what you know saying that the Lakers deserve to be in the playoffs, but obviously the playoffs will be a little bit different without him in there. Yeah, it's been we it's all we've known for so long. Cuz he's a guy that can flip the switch, you know, like no as question. much as much as we can uh talk about the defensive effort over the last couple of years, the dude is a completely different player come come postseason. And, no question uh, about we're it. We're going to get that sort of uh, switch flipping this year. Nope. Doesn't look like it. Um, before we go, Shu, it's time for yet another edition of NBA TV's The Perfect Player. Last week, Kawhi Leonard took home the win for best defender. LeBron's already won most athletic and best basketball IQ. Stephen Curry has best jump shot. Kyrie, the best handles. We've got three more categories to go. And this week, it's best vision shoot. And, of course, LeBron James is on the list. Nikola Jokic and Chris Paul, the other two candidates. You can cast your vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon Eastern on Friday. Which one of those guys replaced uh, Milos when, when he was waived <laughs> by the Clippers? I'm assuming the international spot was filled by yet another international player um, in Jokic. Which of those three guys would you say has the best vision if you're building the perfect player? That's a good question. I think Jokic most often has a pass where I think or I question how he saw it, Mm -hmm. right? Like LeBron has had some for sure. And he is the best passer in the league when you just take in, into account um, the passes he can make with his size and strength, his combination of size, strength, and vision. Right. Just because he can throw darts basically from one corner to the opposite wing or from one wing to the opposite corner. And Chris Paul, obviously uh, a terrific passer, more of a pick and roll sort of passer who makes the right decision all the time. And there are some, a lot of guys like that in the league, but I would, I think Jokic is the most special among these three guys is just as far as the passes he sees that others don't. I was having this conversation with Isaiah Thomas of all people about the fact that we don't have vision as many visionary passers coming up as we did in a, 
in previous generations because of the heavy emphasis on pick and roll basketball and shooting that, that maybe wasn't as accentuated for point guards and facilitators in years gone by. Um, yeah. Just look at like, you know, Jason kids, Yes, a, you know, it was like a Jason Kidd top fifty assists. Ridiculous! Like, he just sees things that nobody else sees. Larry yes. Bird is another example. Like Bird, some of the you know, if you look at some of his, there's a, I know there's a Bird passing highlight video out there on YouTube too. Like you look yeah. at some of that stuff, and it's just you know, how did he even know that that guy was going to be there? And then obviously right. that Magic, of course. Yeah, I think all these guys are good, you know, our, our next level. I would go with – I think I would go with LeBron, honestly, in this category, which is, pains me. We have to – he's going to win, like, basically all but a couple of these categories for the perfect player. Um, you're, talk, I, you're talking to the guy that does the GM survey every year, and, you know, LeBron, <laughs> LeBron wins, you know. Yeah. The, is the answer for basically almost every question. That'll be interesting to actually think about that with the GM survey, how that evolves and, and start, and, you know, LeBron starts yeah. to lose his grip on some of these categories as the best, uh, you know, some of these superlatives, I guess. Yeah. That'd be very interesting. Um, man, I, I love this job. Um, where else can you get on and talk this much trash about this much basketball and not even be close to done? We got, an entire weekend of NBA basketball to digest. Key MVP ladder will be out on Friday. I got a little something different planned this week, too. Not only will we have our, our weekly ranking, but I talked to a front office person this week and a, and a scout, and I asked them for not who their five guys are right now, but if they had to pick in five years, who would be the five players you would predict would be in my top five on the Kia race to the MVP ladder? Very interesting names <laughs> that I'm going to have for you, uh, for everybody tomorrow on NBA.com. Make sure you check that out. Um, we'll be also discussing it on 10 Before Tip on NBA TV at 6.30 Eastern with Jerry Greenberg, who would die if I didn't give a shout-out to uh, 10 Before Tip here on the podcast. Big game Thursday night, Blazers and Thunder. Yes. Winner is winner will be in sole possession of third place in the West. I have a, uh, a Blazers story out on the site today uh, talking about their decision to play CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard together more minutes this year than they had in the past and how it's, that's sort of worked out so far. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know, their lineup sort of rotation issues have been kind of interesting thing to follow this season. Right. Does, uh, does big nerd help out in terms of whatever oh, yeah. treats they've made him playing so much better? Absolutely. I mean, no. I mean, you look at it, they're most, the most used four group, four man group in the lineup is, or, or in the league is uh, Lillard, McCollum, uh, Aminu and Nurkic basically because mm-hmm. Harkless has been out for like 20 missed 20 games or so. Um, and they've been really good. I mean, and the question is their bench and how much that's upgraded by the additions of Rodney Hood and, and Ennis Cantor. Yeah. Yeah. Their benches had issues. Like, so basically I'll just brief, you know, they used to, the previous three seasons that McCollum started, they staggered those guys. So one of the two was on the floor at all times. And this year they've, they've stopped doing that and basically start the second quarter with both of them on the bench. And those have been terrible minutes um, for them, but the minutes with both of them on the floor have been better and there've been more of those minutes. And so it's sort of worked out. Um, and I'll just be, I'm, 
you know, be fascinated to see what they do in the postseason. Yeah, they're going to be one of those intriguing teams to watch come playoffs. You can check all that out, obviously, on NBA.com. Um, and look, we'll be back on Monday with another episode here to Hang Time Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Make sure you leave a review. We appreciate you joining us. Shout out to Rod Beard of the Detroit News for coming on and being our guest this week. We always appreciate the writers and everybody else that come on the show and help us break down the NBA for you. Uh, for John Schumann in New Jersey, John Hart's behind the glass. This is Saku Smith. We'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.